Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Health Connect South Radio show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. Joined in studio as almost always. Good morning, C.W. This is Jay. We got a full house. That's right. We've got quite a fo- quite a group of folks here with us in the studio and actually kind of the hub of all things uh, innovation in healthcare uh, and beyond even uh, here in the Southeast region with folks from SIMDA and GCMI and T3 Labs sitting with us in studio talking about things going on in MedTech innovation. Anything coming up with HealthConnect South we need to throw check, out there before yeah, we start? Yeah, check the website, save the date, September 21st, Georgia Aquarium for the annual Big Tent Gathering. And there may be something, check uh, the website in a week or so. There may be something else coming in early July. You want to introduce our our esteemed guest today? Sure. We're lucky to have Jason Rupp, Executive Director of SEMDA, Tiff Wilson, Executive Director of GCMI, and Kelly Bennett, Training Program Manager at T3 Lab. From what I understand, we just completed the uh, Southeastern Medical Device Association Conference not too long ago, Jason. So from what I understand, you delivered the the kind of the State of the Union address, if you will, around Southeastern medical tech innovation. So Mm -hmm. you want to talk a little bit about the conference and how that went? Sure. Yeah, it was... um, couple weeks ago in Nashville, Tennessee, and a really successful event. This was the first time that SEMDA had our conference outside of Georgia, so there was a lot riding on it, but uh, received tremendous uh, support from the state of Tennessee and uh, had a fantastic show, about uh, 400 registered attendees and uh, more sponsors and exhibitors than we've ever had, so it was uh, fantastic. Um, You know, in my first talk, I talked... um, about the state of medtech in the southeast, and when I look at the medtech in a uh, medtech e- ecosystem, um, I focus on four things: investment, technology, workforce, and infrastructure. And so, obviously, the money is the to to produce the technologies, and then the workforce to do it, and the infrastructure to help help support them. And so, uh, went over those four and. Um, won't go into a lot of detail, but, you know, an investment, that's a, something that's been, you know, difficult uh, throughout the Southeast for the last few years. Um, for the Southeast and uh, VC investment 2015 had a little bit of an uptick. Uh, it's a little deceptive because the deals are getting bigger. So there are fewer deals, but they're bigger. So the smaller companies continue to have uh, troubles raising money. Uh, technologies, you know, on patents, which is the way I, I measured it. The Southeast is really strong with the universities at Georgia Tech and Emory, mm-hmm. uh, Clemson, Vanderbilt, NC State, you know, and so on. There's a lot of technology. The Southeast produces about 16, 17% of the medical device patents in the country. Um, workforce uh, is a challenge. You know, the Bostons and Minneapolis and Californias, they have the, you know, the most employees and uh, obviously because those are the most companies. But um, there's, you know, what's here, we have a really strong workforce. It's just we always need more, always looking for more. And then the infrastructure, which is big part T3 and GCMI, you know, the support is fantastic. A lot of manufacturers and consultants in the area. So uh, can get the job done, but some work to be done. When they were getting started in becoming their own centers for innovation, when you look at Minneapolis and Boston and those types of of markets, what do you think that they did that made that become what it is today? Well, if you look at Boston and RTP, you know, I think with Boston, a lot happened because with the universities, just, you know, that ecosystem built up from the universities. RTP was a decision by the state government that they were going to invest in this and really drive that innovation. With Minneapolis in devices, that was, you know, really it was Medtronic. So when Medtronic was established, the hospitals came to the founder and who was an electrician. He wasn't a, he wasn't in medical devices and said, make me a pacemaker that can run on batteries because they had uh, some deaths when a hospital lost power. Uh, and so that kicked off the, really the entire industry. Uh, if you look at California, you know, it's um, particularly in, well, more in the biotech, it's where it all spawned, kind of similar to, to Minneapolis in uh, med devices. But, um, you know, Silicon Valley, it's where all the money is. I mean, if, if you 
if you did a chart with the VC investment, I think California gets 50% of it. So there's a lot of money there. At the state level, has Georgia begun to invest resources towards this, to, towards, you know, as you talked about in Massachusetts? <laughs> uh, I'm not as familiar. I'm relatively new to Georgia. I think that, um, you know, there is support uh, certainly from you know, the the chambers of commerce are really active mm-hmm. and really strong and, and pursuing companies to get them here. And and I think that's a big part of it. You get the you get the uh companies here that that uh are successful, like CardioMems and EndoChoice and Immucores here. And then from there you you build um off those as and well. And I think the universities are, you know, Georgia Tech in particular is really starting to kind of crack the shell on the Georgia legislature really highlighting the importance of med tech as an economic driver in Georgia. And so there's a lot of education taking place there. We have some ways to go, but headed in the right direction. What sorts of things in the states where they are having, you know, they're recognized as the place to be for med tech innovation, what sorts of things are their governments doing that empower that, if you will, or accelerate or make it stronger, more likely to sustain itself? The big thing that I've seen is um, investment dollars. And so, you know, uh, setting up investment funds, kind of matching dollars for angel investors, um, you know, different grant programs and things like that, you know, really get fundamentally addressing the seed capital and early stage capital gaps to get these companies off the ground. And the other aspect, too, is, um, uh, you know, how do we attract larger companies the Medtronics, the J&Js to set up, you know, headquarters here, large manufacturing bases here. And I know the state was tremendous in getting Baxter um, to build their big facility out. We just need more of that. Mm, It sounds like we're making some measure of traction, not necessarily only in medical technology, but if you look at like, say, Porsche and Mercedes, those organizations that are starting to put some measure of corporate uh, presence in our in our city. I mean, obviously, we're starting to make some measure of inroads. Hopefully, we can expand upon it. And, and when you talked earlier, Jason, about the lack of VC type funding, uh, that's a comment that I had heard in the past a couple of years ago too. That that's where one of the one of the places where we are somewhat lacking behind, say, the Minneapolis's and you talked about Silicon Valley and those types of places. And is it a matter of the, the the investors really want to be around the corner from their from their company? Is that the deal? We just don't have enough of the VC people physically here? Yes, but that is definitely changing. You know, I think that in the past, VCs wanted to to be there. Now, I talk to investors in San Francisco and Boston that they're They've, I don't want to say they've tapped out, but they know the companies in their backyard. So they're looking further and further afield all the time. So, you know, that's SEMDA. A uh, big part of our job is to get the message out about the technologies that are here and the opportunities that are here uh, because they are starting to look more and more um, around the country. And at the same time, there's a lot, there is a lot of investors. There are a lot of investors in Atlanta um, and around Georgia but they're not necessarily med tech um, savvy. And so there's a great comfort in investing in real estate uh, in this area, in um, security, fintech, some software companies, B2B software. And so there's just not a large life science investor base. But now, you know, I think we are starting to see that shift and there's an interest in diversification and kind of following some of the life sciences investors in town. Once we start to see some more successes, I think that that will start to change. I think you can pull people across from maybe they've been traditionally investing in real estate or fintech, as you talked about, but maybe you can get some of those people to take a look at some of the companies in a med tech space or does that, they tend to stay in a niche. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not expecting a, a huge wave uh, or chef, but I think we can chip away at that. It, yeah. it could be Paul Judge in town here who's done, he says his first company, they told him you have to move to Silicon Valley. The second one, they said, okay, you can stay here in Atlanta. He said for his third one, they said, what else is going on in Atlanta? So yeah. Yeah. Right. the it's more investment point. dollars that are here, it'll lead to other things. And so with regards to 
with with Simda, are you how are you getting the word out in terms of the the technologies and things to focus on? What what are your what are your primary focuses and thrusts? So to get the word out, we've um, developed a blog uh, where we talk about success stories and highlights of uh, companies throughout the Southeast, um, and we're market that aggressively on on LinkedIn and other social media applications, and uh, you know particularly around the conference because we've had some you know a lot of success and some great companies come out of it. Uh, we we're getting really good traction there, um, and. You know, and a lot of it is travel. Um, the Avamed conference this year is up in Minneapolis, and it's it's going there. And um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I've been in Georgia for l- less than a year, and was 21 years up in uh, Washington D.C. before coming down um, to run Semda and getting back and making those connections. Um, you know, just meeting people and talking about what's going on is a big part of it, uh, and that <clears throat> that takes time. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, you know, two, three people, a reception is kind of the, you know, what you're going for. And, but you do that enough. And, you know, Tiffany is a great flag waiver for SEMDA and for the Southeast innovation as well. And so, you know, we get out there. Before we went on the air today, you all were talking about a company that we may or may not necessarily want to mention the name. It's up to you all, but you mentioned an example of a company that, that kind of puts, um, some meat on the bones, if you will, about what the process is like and what a what an emerging company may need to think about and how they how they approach the process. Uh, you want to can you want to share sure. a little bit of that in case somebody listening might get some information that could maybe help yeah. increase the likelihood they have some success. Yeah, I think I don't think there's any problem mentioning. It. I'm sure they'd love it. <laughs> uh, Sweet Bio um, is the name of the company, and they'll uh, they're based in Memphis, uh, and they were at Semda last year. When they came to Semda last year, I think they had been incorporated for two weeks or two months. It was brand new. They had no money, no partners, um, just really uh, you know an idea and a technology, and they came out of Semda. Um, ended up with two investors within a few months and um, some partners to help uh, work, you know, get through the regulatory process and, you know, really um, a great company. You know, Tiffany, if you have anything. Yeah. And I mean, the, the progress that they've made, you know, I heard their pitch last year and then sat down with them at the investor pitch rounds this year. And the progress that they've made just by tapping into the ecosystem has been tremendous. Mm-hmm. What sort of technology do they provide? So they, they work on, uh, they're in uh, oral health and so helping uh, reduce uh, infections in the mouth after oral surgery. And from the way the conversation flowed that there may be some applicability in other areas of healthcare beyond where they're starting their focus, is that right? Yeah, it's what, what we refer to as a platform technology. Uh, so, you know, their material, you could put multiple places in the body. Uh, potentially to stimulate wound healing and improve that response. Um, But what's important to do is focus. You know, if you've got limited time and limited capital um, to really choose a market that you can have some traction on in the near term and really build that data set and build that story. Um, You know, we were talking about earlier just the importance of um, doing the proper analysis up front to understand where the most commercially attractive markets might be, you know, and and being able to communicate that to an investor. So in oral health, for example, it may not be the largest market opportunity that they could address, but it's a near-term one where they've seen success and they can build a relationship with FDA and start generating revenue. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to mention that was because for a for a technology company whose solution is one that does right out of the box, maybe has some very broad appeal that it sounds like even if that's the case that you want to still have some measure of this is where we're going to start and focus down that path and then expand. Yeah. You you want to be visionary with discipline, (laughs) (laughs) right? And so it's important to be able to tell that story and be enthusiastic and inspire your investors and the customers and the people that you're working with. But at the same time, you've got to be disciplined in doing the proper market analysis and executing on that to, you know, show that you can check all the milestone boxes and keep your investors happy. Well, uh, startups are really, really hard anyway. And it seems that that's when you're selling direct to people or direct to businesses. In the med tech, there's so many other 
intermediaries. You may sell to one person and somebody else is the buyer and all the rest. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of the obstacles that a, a med tech startup's gonna face? Just getting their product to market. Let me just, let me set <laughs> yeah, it up, sure. right? So the conference this year, <laughs> yeah. the theme was uh, making the value case to stakeholders. So it's basically how do you, how do you get your, your product purchased, if you will. Mm -hmm. And when we were talking about the stakeholders, we were talking about investors, doctors, hospitals, uh, larger companies, you know, there and the, and the patient. I mean, you know, you, there are plenty of companies that have approved products that never sell a thing because the doctors don't want it, or it's more too expensive for a hospital. You know, if you're going to have something that's more expensive, it needs to be a lot better. Um, and you and, have to prove it with data. Right. And you have to prove it. Yeah. So, you know, to, to just kind of, that was the, the theme really of, of our entire conference is how do you address each of those, those and, areas? And proving it with data, you can't just go out and get some people. There's all kinds of steps you have to go through to, to collect that data, right? That's yeah. part of the process. That's part of what T3 does, that, right? That's yeah. where T3 comes in. So share a little bit about the role of T3 and how you fold into the, the process of getting uh, some of this technology to market. So T3 is a contract research organization, and we have two business arms. We have a training and education arm as well as the testing arm. So talking about the startups is, is a good example of how T3 brings them in under our education mission. And it's the individual or the company who has an idea that's literally still on a napkin. But as I mentioned earlier, I can't help them unless there's a tangible device in hand. So I will refer them over to GCMI, who will co then come back to me with something in hand. And our education space is a space there's lots of engineers involved, um, lots of physicians involved coming through to give their opinions. It's an exploratory type of education. That is where the individual determines, is their idea really have legs? Is it something to move forward? When they're confident that their product is going to release data of some sort, I will pass them to the testing side of the house for T3. That is where they are assigned to program manager. The program manager will help guide them through everything the FDA is going to require. Uh, is it a 510K? Is there a GLP? What study is going to be required for the FDA to review the data and determine that it's safe to move to a clinical trial? At that point, when the FDA says, you can move to a clinical trial. That's when I see them on the other back on the training side of the house to for the physicians to participate in exactly the clinical trial. If it's all about clinical trials are all about quality based outcomes. If those who are participating are not familiar with the product, then you end up having a poor quality, which means the product's not going to move to market, which means there's a lot of investment dollars that have to go back in. When those investment dollars go back in, that whole process that we just mentioned has to be repeated again. That's one of those things that those VCs don't want to see. No bueno. No. <laughs> so once the physicians are uh, confident and comfortable in their product, now we see that product now goes to market. Salesforce come into T3 and get their hands wet and get familiar with it so they can now go out and sell it to your hospitals. So for T3, we um, often describe ourselves as the concept to clinical we, we cover that entire basis, and uh, we're that place where those startups can get comfortable with their product. Um, nobody likes to hear their baby's ugly, <laughs> but oftentimes um, it's T3's responsibility to point out that your idea looked really good on paper, but not necessarily what it was meant to be. Now, does that come out, how long does it take for that typically to make itself known. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, are you, how often do they walk in with a box with a prototype in it and you're like, oh, geez, this is, we've probably got to go do some more work or does it take a little bit of time before you start to realize that maybe the workflow or whatever the case may be? Well, there's nobody that walks in with their box that doesn't have to have a tweak here or there. So no, nobody comes Part in of perfect. The journey. Yeah. Right, absolutely. It's, uh, everybody thinks it's perfect, but there, there is no perfect when they walk in our door. Um, it depends upon the product. Uh, every specialty has very specific standards it has to meet, and that which is guided by the FDA. Uh, we can see products that move through that process in a matter of a six-month period. Uh, we have some products that are on a seven-year study. So it, it totally oh, depends upon what the product is. How are the folks who are interacting with what, what technology that is, is there, how are they brought in? Do you know what I'm saying? You were talking about physicians, for example, that are 
participating with the evaluation of of a device i mean how are they how are they determined to be on that group of people on that group. um on our training side of the house which are typically physicians who are coming to learn a new product or a new version of a product we see over 2000 physicians a year through our doors from all over the united states and israel ireland germany all over the world will come through and as they come through t3 uh, it's a way for them to know that T3 exists. Um, and they also sign waivers and they indicate that they're interested in research and want to be involved. So at T3, I have a pool of physicians that depending upon the specialty that they're interested in, I can do a little matchmaking with the companies to pair them with a particular company and a particular product that they can then join together and explore with. And is it is the work that you're doing, is it all pre-commercial, if you will, or... Is it even after it starts being made available to general public that people can still come and, and learn from you? Or how does that how does that piece flow? It's both. Uh, because when a product hits market, not everyone embraces that product right. at the beginning. Yeah, uh, It takes especially some of your phys- physicians um, out in the market who have used one product. They were raised on that product from their residency. Um, I mentioned earlier innovation moving so fast. Oftentimes, what they were raised on is now a little antiquated. And so because we're in a healthcare environment of quality-based outcomes, there are now new products that produce a better quality. So those physicians are forced into coming into a learning environment to see the new product and how it's going to change their patient out. So the physicians will come in and learn a new version. Uh, that happens regularly. You know, it's, uh, we do a lot of evenings. Physician, don't you call that your practice? The practice? It was. Well, <laughs> it's uh, what we call them one-on-ones. So you have. It's very important for physicians to maintain clinic time. Mm-hmm. So days of physicians getting on planes and going all over the country for two and three days on end to learn a new product don't exist anymore. Uh, there are places in the clinic. Uh, people don't think of physicians as employees, but they are employees of healthcare mm-hmm. systems. It's very important for the healthcare systems to have them in clinic seeing patients. Their training comes on evenings and weekends. So a one-on-one is a physician who is approached by a company who has a new product. He goes to clinic, comes in around five or six, sits, listens to their pitch. He goes into our surgical suites. He goes through his training exercises, and then he goes home that night. Sometimes he's performing the procedure the next day. Depends upon the patient, depends upon the product. And is it it working with some sort of a, a model, if you will, in terms of what what are you operating on? Do they have some some measure of uh, a dummy, if you will, or are there? <laughs> well, thanks to the generous gift of our people of Atlanta, there is a program that's a whole donor body program. Okay, and it's people who have donated their body to science right. for the betterment of healthcare and science in general. Yeah. So, uh, a good example is in the orthopedic world. Um, most people are familiar with total hips, yeah. total knees, yeah. joints that are going to be replaced. You certainly don't want your physician to be the one that says, oops, <laughs> that should have been right. Not I always want to do this. Yeah. Right. Uh, and while they learn that procedure in medical school and in their residency, every product has its own unique approach to how they use the devices. And for that reason, we see a lot of orthopedists that come in and may do a total knee, but they're doing a total knee with three to four different companies. So they can figure out which one is going to be best suited for them and their patient. Not every company has the product that's ideal for a particular patient. Talking with Kelly Bennett, she is a training program manager from T3 Labs. And as we were discussing, they're one of the resources for medical device companies to help educate both uh, the end users as, as well as themselves on their device and how well it's doing what they hope it will do and uh, conduct su- some some measure of study on the device to, as they're bringing it out. And, and then once it's ready to go, actually being a training ground for uh, clinicians who will be using the application. And how many projects would you say or companies are, are doing their thing at T3 at a given time? We have two different sides of the house, again, testing and training. And testing, we see about 80 to 100 different companies a year. And the training side of the house, that's probably more of 150 to 200. And the reason for that is because in the training and education side of the house, we count those startups as an individual company. 
So you and a company that's just a matter of two employees counts as a company to me just as much as the Mm -hmm. Medtronics and the Johnson and Johnsons of the world who are, you know, a much larger conglomeration. What's, uh, if, if you, if you had to identify one or two missteps that a technology company makes when they're getting ready to start doing the process with T3 labs, can you identify some places where they tend to go wrong that maybe if they're listening today, maybe they will not make the same mistake before they get there? Um, they get a little too eager with their data. You have to be patient. If you've invested the money to test the product, have the patience to wait on the data to reveal itself. And everybody gets a little eager and wants to move forward. We have lots of groups who come in. And I'm ready to do a GLP study tomorrow. Mm, no, that's rare. If, if you have never conducted a study in your product before, it's very important that you take your time and go through the recommended steps especially for your investors, because in the testing side of the house, the GLP studies are a very expensive study. And that's that data that's going to, the FDA is going to review. You want to make sure that you're ready for that step. Uh, so that would be one. Um, the other would be not doing your research to determine that you are solving a problem. A great example, um, we work very closely with the Georgia BioID program. And the students come in and they got the twinkle in their eye and they're very excited about the product. And I had a group who came in and they were sharing the idea of their product. And it was a type of needle that's used in a laparoscopic procedure. And they went through their exercise and I said, well, guys, there is a product on the market that costs about four cents that does the same thing. (laughs) They're like, no, no, but but ours turns and it twists and you can angle it. I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah. But four cents, I can do the same thing you're trying to accomplish. So there has to be a need. They, people with ideas love their ideas, and they get <laughs> focused, and they, they put blinders on, and they're not really open to hear that the idea is not so new. I was going to say, you, you, you might want to hit Google before you go to that You'd point. be surprised. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> it's like the Geico commercial with the caveman. Next time, do a little yeah. research. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, and that gets back to the investment issue, you know, is because there are opportunities for non-dilutive funding that companies can give SBIR grants and, and things like that, where, and Tiffany has talked about, you know, spending too much on a prototype and, you know, doing these other things way too early and blowing through that money early on that could really help these companies get through and, and bridge that what's called the valley of death, you know, from the, that, that's so hard where most companies fail. It's interesting. You can actually create a prototype too soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we've worked on one project over the past year with, uh, with T3. We had a entrepreneur come to us with a um, problem that he wanted to solve and, um, came to us and said, can you build a prototype? And, you know, and we just kind of hit the pause button on that because we needed to understand if the science would work, if the physics would work for, to solve that problem. So we worked with Kelly and her team. And rather than develop a prototype, we developed a test method um, that would kind of prove the science, worked with Kelly and her team at T3 to actually prove that the concept would work, uh, that the engineering and science would work. Then we took that data and over a course of several studies, we're able to come back to GCMI and start building that prototype. It's interesting. How do you, how do you test it without the thing? Do you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes you want to test, and I can't go into any of the details, but sometimes you want to test a particular concept that, you know, if I, put this kind of effect on the body, then something else will happen. And so once you can prove that happens, then you can design a device that will achieve that, you know, rather than spending months and months on a prototype only to learn that, that in a theoretical sense, only to learn then when you go into the, into the study that it's not going to be effective. So there, you know, you fail fast and fail cheap. And so we, we do that a lot. Another mistake that we see people make is they'll come in and um, and want to build a beautiful prototype for, from the begin from the beginning. And sometimes you don't, and and that can be very expensive, um, and yet not really yield any value. So sometimes we'll work on things that are, you know, a little bit fancier than duct tape and cardboard, um, but 
we're proving the concept, and that is a great initial prototype to be able to demonstrate that, then you can spruce it up a little bit, make it more visually appealing to take out and show investors and try and raise early capital. A while back, we had interviewed a company that had a pill dispenser mm-hmm. and that it was going to help manage your medication regimen, let let people know, caregivers and so forth, you've actually taken the medication and when you took it and all of those types of things, and it would actually dispense it correctly. The, but they brought a prototype with them and it had a couple of little lights on it and everything, but the, it was clearly very basic. It was, as you talked about, it wasn't very pretty. Mm-hmm. We worked um, on that. Yeah, but they made that thing, you know, <laughs> we, we but they showed it. here it'll spit it out and everything. So what you're saying is, if I'm a technology company and I've got in my mind this this Bond car looking uh, awesome device when it's done, I don't have to have that it's necessarily. Gonna, it's just got to do what I'm saying. It's not going to start there. And so you're really starting with the specifications. And for, so with what you saw, that was actually a beautiful prototype compared to <laughs> the evolution of it. Right. Uh, you know, and, and it wasn't at quite at scale yet, I'm guessing. Right. No, it was fairly with, large compared with, to what they wanted with to the end with. the final industrial yeah. design and things yeah. like that. But you know, we needed a pill container that would do X, Y, and Z, this different shapes, sizes, mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really an electromechanical solution to develop that, you know, and pulling together mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, software, um, and doing a lot of troubleshooting to get that final mechanism in place before then you can move on to the next iteration. But for the for the for that investor, they can somewhat use their imagination, if you will. Absolutely. Sure. If yeah. you can prove that the that it works, that the fundamental engineering works, then you can go from there. I mean, the startup world, they have the minimum viable product, which don't put too much into it just to test the concept. I guess if you're working on somebody's body, the floor has to be raised a little bit uh, higher than maybe a software product. You, you... you still want your MVP. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want the, the feature creep because, you know, back to Kelly's comment earlier about um, tech innovation being expensive and, you know, it's really what the healthcare system is going to provide. You add different features and functionalities, and if it's not really... Um, improving outcomes or having some tangible tangible benefit or cost savings, then it probably makes sense to leave it off on the first go around and get that. What is the minimal, safe, effective solution to address a certain unmet clinical need? Get it out into the market as quickly as you can, as safely and predictably as you can, but then can go back and, and get customer feedback, get patient feedback and iterate from there. Well, every product has to solve a problem. So yeah. whether it's a new version or a new product, if there's not a problem in the market that's going to affect cost or patient outcomes, there's no reason for the product to exist. Yeah. And so we'd rather help people identify that early on and pick something else, pick another problem to be solved. Right. <laughs> which is, have, which to, is hard for some headstrong entrepreneur. They yes, don't want to hear that. Right. No, they don't. But it's important. What would you say? I was asking the the question of Kelly about mistakes that uh, an innovative company that's trying to solve a problem makes before they bring it to T three. What about when they get to the Global Center for Medical Innovation? And what what sorts of things would they probably need to have done differently or thought about before they got to you? Um, so again, I think thinking about the customer and what problem you're solving. You know what we see frequently from kind of academia is, you know, particularly around engineering is you may have an incredibly sexy technology that could have implications or product solutions translate into medical devices. Yet, you know, is it a technology looking for a problem or an unmet need? Or is it really the fundamental unmet need driving solutions that use technologies to address that? So, so that's a frequent one. Another one is um, fundamentally just not understanding what it takes to get something from the back of the napkin into commercialization, um, that there are, you know, the FDA does exist. They, <laughs> they want you to do certain studies. They want you to do them in a certain way. You just can't take shortcuts. And, you know, people do. People, you don't really know about them right away. It doesn't come back to bite you until five years later when FDA is knocking at your door. You're trying to do a deal with a Medtronic 
and they're not going to acquire your company because you've taken on too much risk. So just fundamentally understanding and respecting the time that it takes to get something, the steps required, the money that it's going to take to get there and planning it. How long? The cycle. What's it look like? The cycle of innovation. Well, it's the, it's the iteration. So, I mean, you know, when you and what we do at GCMI is there's an unmet need out there. Somebody um, has an idea for a new technology. They come in and we speak with them about how do you quantify that? You know, how do you refine and really segment your market? So if you're, you know, back to Sweet Bio, if you're doing a wound care technology, people like to say, oh, it's a huge market opportunity. It's $4 billion and we're going to address all those. And if we just get 2%, we're golden. And we're like, no, <laughs> a diabetic ulcer is not the same as a venous ulcer is the same as, and so really kind of pushing people to really segment that market. And then, you know, going through that design um, engineering build cycle, testing it at GCMI, doing bench testing it, um, taking it to T3, getting the the other cadaveric and other preclinical studies done, you know, to achieve that final design. And so as it's going through that circle, that cycle, we're, we're talking, doing the market analysis, we're talking to regulatory experts and that those are inputs into the process talking to investors, talking to industry, you know, and understanding those inputs too. So by the end of it, once the device is commercialized, um, that there is, you know, the right kind of input from all the different stakeholders. It's a multidisciplinary, multi-stakeholder. And I think the, the, you know, biggest challenge, I think, for a lot of first-time entrepreneurs is recognizing the complexity of that um, and, and kind of facing it head on. And if I could jump in on that, um, I would say a, a mistake, Fauna, is not bringing in a, an experienced CEO that knows that process. You know, because a lot of times those early, especially first-time innovators, they don't know any of that, but they have an idea. They're not always the most humble people. Uh, and so they just think, I can cram this through like I did med school. You got to have know. the right team. Yeah. Yeah, you got to have right the right team. team. Yeah, that's probably a better way to say it. So uh, is, a, is a modular approach, if you will, bringing uh, maybe what may be a temporary C-suite ex- expert in well, something to do? Know, or? I, think, I don't know when it when it comes in. I think, you know, it, if you have good mentors, you know, you can get through some of that. But um, yeah, I it, think, it, de- it depends. I mean, so we ask a lot of times, is it a product or is it a company? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, um, you know, particularly you know, doctor or nurse innovators may have a solution to a problem, but it's not necessarily a startup opportunity. It's a product. And so they want MedTech or Medtronic, I mean, Redtronic or somebody like that to buy it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To license it or acquire it. And so those clinicians, they're not going to leave their practice of medicine, you know, to do this all the time. So they've got to have the right stakeholders. And that's where GCMI and T3 really come in to provide that product development guidance and then work, you know, as part of organizations like SEMDA to identify successful entrepreneurs, investors, those people who may be interested in partnering. So we do a lot of matchmaking in our world Um, and then getting the insight early on from, you know, calling up Medtronic and playing a little matchmaker there and understanding at what stage are you interested in in, you know, assuming this fits within your product portfolio and where you're going with your business, how far along do we need to get it? What's the data we need to have in place in order for you to acquire it? Most of the time these days, that's, you know, all the studies done through FDA, you know, and maybe some early sales. And so a clinician or an engineer, academic entrepreneur is going to need an experienced business person and those you know, kind of fractional CEOs, um, you know, that you can handle a handful of those projects at a time. And, and we're starting to see that around our community here in Atlanta. What's that Steve Jobs quote you have on team, on the team oh. that you had in your presentation? Oh, yeah. yeah. I can't remember. I can't either, but it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, basically. You should have been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that the fundamental takeaway is it really doesn't matter, um, you know, what what product you've got, you could have the, you know, what I always say you could have the cure to cancer, but if you don't have the right team in place and the trust and respect on that team, 
um, it's never going to see the light of day. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So it's all about the people, the trust, and the respect um, to get something through. Right. And the investors say they bet on the jockey, not the horse. A lot of so horse. they're looking for, you know, so Warren they're looking Buffett, for, right? That's his mm-hmm. whole investment strategy. So what about med tech women? Booyah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we just announced uh, uh, med tech women at SEMDA. Um, so we're, I'm really excited about that. And that was um, really kind of has been coming together over the past couple of years, um, you know, living in this med tech world in the Southeast um, really intensely for the past five years or so. Came up about 18 months ago, I guess. I serve on the National Advisory Council for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Department of Commerce. And uh, I was at a NACI meeting in D.C. and talking with some of my colleagues and inclusion and diversity is part of the dialogue there. And we were just talking anecdotally about in our communities, we had heard from the patent office where the number of patent applications with one, at least one woman's name on it, um, particularly in science and medicine, has been growing exponentially in recent years. And then I just kind of thought about the community in Atlanta and around the Southeast. I'm like, huh, I don't see a lot of women starting, you know, med tech companies. And then at the same time, um, you know, AdvaMed in Washington, D.C. has had a women's executive network and really highlighting um, the gap in industry on the industry side, where in big medical device companies, there is a um, huge gap in the C-suite. You just there aren't any women in the C-suite you know, started to kind of pull some of the community anecdotally around the universities and healthcare systems here in Atlanta and across the region and felt compelled we needed to to do something about it and thought SEMDA would be the perfect platform to bring that together. So the goal of the group, we've, um, we've pulled together about 17 um, founding advisory board members from medicine, academia, um, in industry, and Kelly's um, gracious enough to to be one of those founding partners. But we're collectively working to a provide professional development opportunities and mentoring for women in industry, whether you're in finance, marketing, clinical, product development, what have you. Put on kind of professional development mentoring type events and opportunities for if I want. You know, if I'm early in my career at EndoChoice and I want to be in the C-suite at some point, you know, what activities, what do I need to be doing? What networking relationships do I need to be building? And have SEMDA really coordinate, be kind of a catalyst for that. The other side of it is on the innovator side. And, you know, they're in the universities and healthcare systems. There seems to be a gap um, of women mentors just There just haven't been a lot of women leaders of different labs and things. Um, And so if I'm a female postdoc at Georgia Tech and I've got a cool technology I'm working on, there's nobody really in that system who's saying, you know what, you should be part of the entrepreneurial process and this is how you do that. So we want to have that dialogue where whether I'm at Clemson or, you know, the medical college in South Carolina or Georgia Tech or UAB, if I'm a women, a woman engineer um, or clinician in these academic centers, I know I can connect to SEMDA and find the right people and understand, A, how do I become involved in that, not necessarily an entrepreneur, but in that entrepreneurial process as a technologist and, um, and, and get the, the education and the mentoring network that I need to do that. So, you know, hopefully in a few years we'll see an uptick in the number of women involved in founding teams and, um, you know, kind of raise that dialogue in our region. So how are you spreading the word about that side of things, the availability of the women med tech? So we, um, we just announced it formally at the, at the conference, um, last month and, um, in the process of mapping out some different programming, uh, and events for the next year, um, so we will most likely start a webinar series uh, in the fall on some different professional development and leadership topics. I'm in the process right now of polling some of the the people in my in my network, um, and then we're going to move pitch. Sem is going to move pitch rounds around the region, right. um, mm-hmm. and so we'll I'll travel when they go do that, and we'll 
we'll do some events and, you know, some speaking on that. Most likely um, with the next conference in Atlanta next April. Yeah. Uh, April 26 and 27. Right. <laughs> we will do, uh, we will do some specific programming around there. So this is a pilot year for us to kind of throw some things out there, um, start having the dialogue, raising awareness and then, you know, it's kind of like any entrepreneur, you adjust to the needs of your, your customer and your community. And so we'll build programming and opportunities based on the feedback and what people are really needing to be successful. What do folks do to get involved right now if one of our listeners ends up saying, hey, that's me, I want to I want to take part? Um, so the, the, go to the SEMDA's website and uh, apply to, you know, join as a member and um in that application, kind of note that you're interested in the the med tech women. Um, and then, you know, by all means, if people have questions, they can email me at twilson at devices.net. Yeah, they could also email me jrop at semda.net. <clears throat> and we're, you know, putting together that a, a database of the, you know, separate database for the uh, med tech women at SEMDA. And, you know, so we'll do more uh, marketing specifically around Events and those, those community events, I mean, I, I want to stress too that that it's men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the mentors, the um, speakers and things that will, people that will have involved, we're addressing the needs of women in industry and innovation, but it really is going to take involvement um, from the community to make that happen. As it relates to just the general effort to advance the Southeast and, and the Atlanta area, since this is where we are, but the Southeast in general as a, as a region and, and becoming more of a center of excellence, if you will, for med tech innovation. I mean, what, what are the resources that remain to be, to be gotten, if you will, obviously more venture capitalist involvement and, and taking, taking part in in innovation here in our area, but any other resources, partnerships, collaborations, that's the other piece of what we're all about here at Health Connect South is to, Bring resources together in case it's around the corner and someone just happens to hear it. We would love to put them together with you. But what are y'all looking for? Well, I think that um, you know one of the you know going back to the four workforce is a, a big part of success of an innovation ecosystem. And T three has training, but um, Semda we're looking to develop partnerships around professional development. Um, you know, building the the knowledge base of. Uh, whether it's working on the regulatory side or reimbursement or compliance or even, you know, leadership and presentation skills. So developing um, course courses around that, webinars, as Tiffany mentioned, with uh, uh, MedTech Women, but we'll also do that generally. And I think I want to reiterate that point. I think one of the, the best panels um, – I've, I've attended was uh, Avimed Women Executive Network um, panel uh, a few months ago. And so, you know, I think that the webinars will be open to everybody, uh, although it'll be focused on the MedTech women side. <clears throat> but, um, you know, so doing those webinars and, and just getting that education um, out there. Yeah, we always ask, what do you need? So Tiffany and Kelly, what do you need? <laughs> Well, for T3, one of the biggest draws for T3 is our Atlanta airport. Um, hmm. I mentioned we, you know, Israel, Ireland, Europe. Um, if anyone is coming through to the United States, odds are they've passed through our Atlanta airport. So we see a lot of uh, companies who take advantage of us being an East Coast site versus the California and Boston area. Uh, conference rooms are a huge thing for us. We oftentimes use the Global Center for Medical Innovation and the Georgia Tech space. They have a large conference center there. Um, I would like to see more hotels. You know, the, I know the, the city is currently working towards the walkability, uh, where T3 specifically is looking forward to the new stadium being close to us and revamping that area. You're the only one. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a little on my own part that... Um, I am the area where we sit. There are not a lot of hotels and people who come in for testing and training are coming in to work. So they want hotels close by. They want food close by and they want things walkable within a four square square block type of area. Mm -hmm. So the area where I think Tiffany and I both sit is we're looking for some development in that space so we can bring in more technology that we need 
that's at our back door rather than going across the, the city or a couple of blocks north to get something accomplished for us. We've got to build that right. innovation neighborhood. The innovation mm-hmm. neighborhood. We want everything coming in one spot. And Tiffany, where do you find uh, entrepreneurs, the startups, the ATDC, ATV, Strong? Where do I find them? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, they find us. Okay. It's it's really a word of mouth uh, type thing. So, you know, I am very involved in SEMDA and um, and my work at NACI and different speaking events around the community. So people have gotten a sense, generally speaking, of what we do. But um, realistically, you know, st- med tech startups it's a small community and it's really just grown uh word of mouth which has been has been fantastic and if you've not done so already you need to get over to healthconnectsouth.com and register for the upcoming fall event september 21st september 21st at the georgia aquarium hope to see you all there and we'll our loyal listeners will get a coupon once the site goes live for reward you for your listening that's right. So use the promo code Radio X when it comes time to get signed up so you can get a discount on your registration. Mm-hmm. And if you're coming back for the podcast, if you've not done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the show's page, you'll find the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Health Connect South radio show podcast lives. Subscribe to us. And that way you can meet the cool guests that we're bringing to you every week, the new The new uh, episode will be downloaded straight to your device to be listened to by you when it's convenient for you. And we hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks. We really rely on getting the word out here and your help is needed in that. Obviously, we've got several great organizations uh, that we've featured here today that we would love to make uh, more people aware of that may be one of those innovators trying to get something started around the southeast region so we hope you turn around and share this with your networks and we'll say thanks in advance for that everybody here in the studio thanks for making some time i know you all are busy folks so taking time to join us here in the studio for an hour was uh, much appreciated appreciate it thanks for the opportunity and everybody also shout out to right to market and paul snyder for helping us they're helping publicize the september 21st event so go to healthconnectsouth.com and register great people over there as well and thanks to the folks at health connect south our partners in the show And everybody else, we want to look forward to seeing you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.